Hi, I'm co-host Lois Donkwa, and this is the 100 Alumni Voices podcast, Stories That Inspire, where we explore the personal and professional journeys of a diverse group of 100 doctoral alumni from Johns Hopkins University. Today, we're joined by Gina Greenwich, PhD in Material Science and Engineering and current Higher Research Scientist at National Physical Laboratory. Hi, Gina. Hi, Lois. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to hear a little about you. And I want to first start by just hearing about kind of what made you want to pursue a PhD in Material Science and Engineering and also just a little more about your graduate work in general. Sure. I feel like a PhD in material science and engineering sort of chose me. I did chemistry as an undergrad and it had a more materials focus. And then I did a master's at Howard University as well. The same place I did my undergrad it was also very materials focused. So I decided to pursue a PhD in materials so I can get a more fundamental understanding of the work I was doing. And the work in my master's was carbon-based on carbon-based materials and characterization and use for environmental purposes. And then in my PhD work, I continued on that theme and I studied different ways to manipulate carbon materials via the use of metals, also for some environmental implications. That's really cool. I love that you mentioned that the doctoral program kind of chose you because that's definitely how I feel as well. I certainly wasn't someone who from childhood set out to get a PhD in health policy and management, for example. But I'm curious then, since that was your experience as well, what was it like while you were in your doctoral program in terms of what you saw yourself doing afterwards since you were kind of following the path as it made sense in the moment? Right. So when I started my PhD at Hopkins, I was very open to what I would do afterwards. So I used the time to sort of investigate what I thought being a a teacher might be or a professor might be. I asked people who were in industry and talked to them. Some people went into consulting, technical consulting, spoke with people who did that. And um, I ended up working at a national lab in the UK. And uh, this felt like the right fit for me at the time when I was pursuing um, job opportunities after my PhD. So I've always been very flexible with where this path would lead me. And so far it's worked out okay. I love that with your flexibility, you chose to then explore what it sounds like a lot of them or many of the options you had. And I'm curious, I think that that can certainly be something a lot of doctoral students and candidates are thinking is the route that they'll take as well. And I see that coming with both its benefits because you get to learn from a lot of people, but also challenge because you're learning from a lot of different people. So kind of how did you manage all of the different inputs you were taking in and how were you able to go, okay, well, this 
like, how do you realize that it makes sense for you? What direction to go in next? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think throughout my entire life and throughout my academic career, I've always had a very good safety net through my mentorship, my network, my family. So I was always able to take some measured risks. And through those measured risks, I decided, well, I learned how to build up some trust in myself. So when I hear advice that applies specifically to me, I can kind of filter out what is specific, specifically good that would apply to me versus just some vague generic advice that um, everyone should be taking on board. So I do believe I have some trust in myself and what advice I can take on that would be useful for me in particular. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'd love to hear more than you talked about the various supports that you've been able to lean on both just throughout your doctorate program, but it sounds like in general, I'd love to hear a little bit about how then your, just hear more about your, those support systems, whether it's your mentors or just your family community at large, like how has that helped you through doctoral studies and the moment that you're in now? Uh, it's helped tremendously. I don't think, I think it would be very, very difficult to get a PhD and get an engineering PhD on your own. It takes a village. I have my family been very supportive. I went to Howard and the lab there have been supportive from my time there to my time now. You know, I had people who helped when I was moving to the UK who came over and helped me do things. Even though I left Howard many years ago, my PhD advisor, Juno Erlbacher, was incredible. Um, My boss here at NPL was also very supportive. I've always managed to, I'm very lucky, I've always managed to have um, a lot of people in my corner. Yeah, I certainly understand that. And it's, it's beautiful how the relationships, even though they were in the past are able to carry you into the next moment, but then also they show up again. Yeah, no, they've never left. (laughs) Yeah, which is always, it's right. You're collecting people along the way. It's not just one stop situation. Absolutely. I'm curious then, I'm thinking about kind of when you were in a moment where closer to the end of your doctoral studies, just thinking about possible opportunities you might be in, knowing that there's one version of you, but then you would exist differently in different settings. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you communicate yourself in a way that makes sense? Knowing that like different roles are looking for different people. Does that make sense? Uh, Yes, it does make sense. So I applied for a variety of jobs and they were either industry-based or national lab-based and they were all slightly different roles. And I think I leveraged my diverse scientific background. I have a degree in chemistry and undergrad degree in biology and and material science. So I was able to draw upon those experiences scientifically. Um, But in general, a lot of these technical jobs are looking for very similar things, which is that you have an ability to problem solve. You have an ability to follow through on your research plans. You have an ability to communicate your science effectively. And all of those things are sort of the, the through line for all of the positions. So you don't have to change too much, only just sort of the, the technical side that they're interested in. That's such a good point because I can I can see something like that that being 
not knowing how to market yourself for different sectors or environments being like a big anxiety point for people. But it's a good, mm-hmm. it's a good thing that you highlight that like, they're looking for similar things. And it's about remembering that overall, you do have the methods or topical yes. expertise they're looking for. Yes. I and I think that. having a PhD means you know how to learn as well, which I think is also very valuable in any job you go into, you're never going to be a perfect fit. So if you can show that you are willing and able to learn quickly, then I also think that's very valuable to any position you apply to. Yeah, that's a good point. So I'd love to hear about kind of hear more about the things that you learned in your doctoral program that you continue to see show up in the work that you're doing now, where it's maybe it's a day-to-day activity or it's like a process or something thing. Like, how do you see it translate now into what you're doing as a working professional? Right. Um, I think the, the resilience, which I'm sure you know about doing a PhD is very difficult and there are lots of challenging moments and there'll be lots of challenging moments in your career life and in your job, but you struggle through it and you take it on and you persevere. And I think that's one of the, the um, major takeaways after my PhD. Also, how to read and understand scientific literature, things like that, communicating science well, writing, fostering collaborations is very important in science as well. These are all things that uh, they don't change much from the time you do your PhD to the time I, um, for the transition into this, this role. Yeah, that's good to hear that you're, you're able to draw very directly onto from your experiences. Mm-hmm. I'm yes. curious, you mentioned, you mentioned mentors earlier, and I'm curious, um, like, if there's any standout advice that you've received from mentors that is something that you continue to go back to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. I did think about this. And I think in terms of imposter syndrome, I've had someone who's very high up in a, a very large technical company say who has multiple publications and patents. Sometimes he walks into a room and he's unsure of what he's, if what he's saying is correct and how he'll be perceived. And he says that never goes away. So, you know, don't stress too much if it happens once in a while. <laughs> it's okay. It's normal. That's, oh, that's a, such a good point to hear, right? Because I think that from any perspective, you don't view yourself as the person that's the top of the field. So, expert. Right. It's very exactly. strange to consider yourself an expert. <laughs> <laughs> so when our experts are like, oh, I still feel like a novice. I get nervous. Yeah, that's, I feel uncertain. Right. It's very reassuring, which is nice. It is. Uh, I've also, I've received some advice that was just like, be kind to yourself and just remember that like, you don't need to be so hard on yourself all the time, knowing yeah. that it things are hard and that's okay. <laughs> it is hard. What's some other advice you've gotten? I know this is supposed to be about me, but I'm curious. <laughs> that's a good. That's okay. Ah, that you're, you're right. It is, it's a good question, but it's one that requires a little thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so be kind to yourself was certainly one, and another one that sticks out to me all the time. The same person said this. Um, mm-hmm don't let perfect be the enemy of good. 
And mm -hmm. that's something that is helpful when you're developing a dissertation proposal, you're executing on that dissertation proposal. And even something I'm gonna remind myself of later when it's having those job conversations or figuring out what job to do next, <laughs> same thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So those are my standout ones, but it's, it's, it's interesting what things you kind of carry from the relationships that you have that have gotten you to the moment you're in, knowing that mm -hmm. you're not going to remember every single moment, but at the same time, just like how your colleagues and friends from Howard were able to help you when you moved to the UK, it's like there's something beautiful about how the relationships existed where you're still supporting each other. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you do now. Like, what does your day-to-day -day look like? And just a little more about your role. Sure. So I am a research scientist and I use mass spectrometry imaging as a technique to solve a variety of problems. So we do high resolution imaging, uh, chemical making chemical maps of things from stainless steel to cancer samples. Um, and my day-to-day -day life involves running the instrument, collecting data, doing data analysis, writing reports, um, attending lots of meetings and um, looking into science dissemination. So we have to give talks and presentations uh, and thinking about about strategy, how to, to win grants, how to promote what we do in the organization and outside of the organization. So it's more than just the technical part and the science part. So you, you do have to, well, I guess getting money to fund your science is also part of science, which is, I, I'm not sure you think about very early on in your PhD career. Yeah, that's, that is that is such a good point that all of those steps are part of what being a researcher yes. is or are, but you don't really think of it that way. Right. You know, you know, it's one thing to be like, I want to be in the lab all the time, which is, I love. <laughs> so, so then there, but there are all these other pieces as well that are required for you to be uh, a good scientist, an effective scientist. Yeah, that's such, and those are the things that you learn from being in a doctoral program. Yes. I, it's interesting because, so I'm someone that was pre-med and undergrad. So I have my experience doing mass spectrometry. I was not good at it, which is why I'm not doing it now. Um, but it sounds like the work that you're doing in terms of the kind of clients that you all have and the outcomes that you um, work to impact it influences a lot of different sectors and fields. Yes. And I'm, I'm curious then, how does that, yeah, what's your perspective on that? Like, how does that, yeah, I'd love your thoughts on like what that means or are you mainly interested in the method so you're excited to be contributing to a lot of different spaces? I think it's, it's fun because you have to learn a variety of new things and draw upon all of my experience, all of my academic experience. It feels like none of my knowledge goes to waste. So in that sense, it's exciting. And the technique itself, it's fairly new. There are only 60, the instrument I work on is the NanoSims. There are only 60 instruments worldwide, so it's quite niche. So that part's really interesting as well. 
but um you know I still very much am interested in work that I did in my PhD which is the characterization of carbon materials so the organization is pretty flexible that um, and they allow you to sort of pursue your own interests if you can win funding for it so I submitted a proposal for an internal grant and one that's I can study my own project on carbon materials and using the instrument to characterize it so I've been do I like doing the variety of things but I also still kind of want to do the things that I'm personally interested in and that I focus on in my PhD so I'm able to do both. That's it's nice that you have such flexibility to be able to be both a generalist and whatever the opposite of a generalist is, very specific. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I'm curious then, what are some of the challenges that might exist from having work that is not aggressively narrow? Um, yeah. Well, it's both aggressively narrow and um, very broad in that you have this one instrument and I'm meant to become an expert in it. And it's a very complicated instrument. So I do spend a lot of time just thinking about how, how this instrument works and how best to use it to my ability, for my abilities and for the purposes that it requires. So in that way, it's very specific. And what you actually put into the instrument, it's uh, it doesn't necessarily change that much how you think about using the instrument. It, what you have to think differently about is why you're doing what you're doing and what the impact is and the, the larger scientific picture, if that answers your question. It does. And it, it helps me see how there's larger applicability of what you're saying to any field, like mm -hmm. any job that people have could not could is both very narrow and very broad, whether yeah. it's you work in health policy or food policy on a specific Thing related to children, for example, but then that influences a lot of other things. Then it yeah. influences education and yeah. X, Y, Z. So I'm glad that you mentioned it's about thinking about how your role is a part of it, but then also what your larger impact is and yeah. what your tasks are and things like that. I'd love to hear kind of, so I have two more questions for you. And sure. you mentioned that in uh science research you do, there's a lot of opportunity for collaboration. And I'm curious then, what does collaboration look like in the type of work that you do? And how does that influence um, your projects and workflow and all of that? So because I do materials characterization, I do require collaborations because I don't have or the team doesn't have the bandwidth to do all of the sample preparation and all of the um, correlative techniques. So we are usually part of much, a much larger picture. So in order for us to be effective in solving some kind of larger problem, then we need to collaborate and we need to have, and for example, we work on a lot of biology samples, but we're not biologists. So we do need to have the biologists on board to figure out what our data is really saying, because we can only do so much. So yeah, it's essential for us. Right. It, it helps to fill in the holes. Like yes. you're all working towards a larger picture and you yes. recognize what you can do and then the extent yep. of your efforts. Right. Oh, that's great. Well, as my last question, I'm curious what inspires you right now? Ah, yes, that is an excellent question. I, I think the... Um, I have two things that inspire me right now. And one, it's my parents. 
it's because I've seen them work so hard my whole life. And to provide that safety blanket I was talking about earlier that I can pursue some of these risks and some of these ideas and to pursue a PhD. And so they do inspire me to work really hard. And I'm also inspired by the people who can live in an uncertainty and live in this liminal space with joy and with optimism instead of fear and anxiety. I really admire those people and I aspire to be more like them. Uh, yeah, I I understand that family is a very important part of my life as well. And it's right. The people that remain just optimistic, full of joy, just continue to remind you ways that you too can feel like that. Right. Even when things aren't perfect, you it's going to be all right most of the That's time. Right. <laughs> uh, Gina, it's been so wonderful to chat with you today and hear a little bit about your perspective and just more a little about what you do. And what inspires you? What inspires me? I think that, I think people inspire me, just people in general, people's joy, the possibilities of people, just community and just sharing and be, being together and working together. Um, yeah, for me, it's the possibilities that can be accomplished when groups of people work together. Um, that's what inspires me. If someone asks me again, I might say a different answer. Of so course. Yeah, don't it's me what inspires anyone. you today. <laughs> that's right. Today, that is what inspires me. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Gina. Thank you so much for your time, Lois. Mm-hmm.